So that's what we're doing in this series. We are, we are climbing out of the dark places, out of the, the dark caverns of shame into daylight. Again, my name is Dion. I want to welcome you. Welcome those of you who are joining us online too. As we conclude our series today, um, we've had a couple of powerful weeks where we've talked about secrecy and how that factors into shame, how we've talked about silence and how important it is to break the silence. And now in this last week, we're going to talk about the third nefarious partner with shame, the thing that keeps us in shame. We're going to talk about judgment because who among us haven't experienced, uh, who among us hasn't experienced the sting of judgment before? Uh, you know, I was talking with some friends last week and we were, uh, we were talking a little bit more about the series. We were processing it, which is a good thing to do. And we were talking about moments of shame that we've experienced in our lives. And um, one, of, one of my friends, uh, she told a story about how when she was back in high school, she was um, going to this party in a hotel room. And the story's not probably going where you think it is, but um, she, was in, she was going to a party in a hotel room and um, she didn't know a lot of the people there, but she was there. And since it was a hotel room, there was not really many places, there weren't any places to sit down. So she wanted to sit down. So she, she just sat down on the bed and this guy walked up to her that she didn't even know. And I guess maybe it was his hotel room because he said to her, and she described this and it was really painful for her. He, he said to her, he said, get off the bed, you ugly beep. And uh, she told that story and she said, man, she was so humiliated in that moment, not just because this guy had been really unkind to her and embarrassed her in front of people, but because here she is, she's this high school, high school girl, you know, so concerned about how she's perceived physically, her appearance. And here's this guy who doesn't even know her, who walks up and in front of everyone, pronounces judgment on her, calls her ugly. Uh, as we were talking that day, I thought of some moments in my life. I didn't share them, and I felt bad about that later, so as penance, I'm going to share them with you now, um, at least one of them. Uh, you know, I remember back to a moment in middle school gym class, which is kind of like the, you know, like the, the, the cauldron, the crucible of all shame for men. It starts in middle school gym class, doesn't it? Um, and uh, I remember being in a unit, we were, doing, we were doing football, and we were throwing a football back and forth, and I remember some boys, and they were on the football team. I remember them laughing at me, saying that I threw like a girl. Now, what they meant, to those of you who are offended, I think, is that I threw like a girl who didn't play softball. I know some of you can really throw, so no offense there. But um, yeah, and I remember hearing that and just being like, so, felt so judged by that. And still, I promise you to this day, and uh, some people in this room could attest to it, that, man, I, I don't want to play catch. I don't want to throw a ball. And if I have to, I, I get this knot in my stomach. Right? Judgment can be small, but it can be powerful even when it's small, and then it can be really big. There was another time in my life where I remember I was going through some stuff, and I finally decided to, to do the things that we're talking about in the series, to confide in someone. And so I picked a friend who I was really close with, someone I really trusted, and um, I, I told him what I was struggling with. And I remember as I was telling him, just really hoping and believing that he wouldn't distance himself for me, that our relationship would stay the same. Um, and I told him, and he didn't say anything mean to me in that moment. He didn't say anything harsh, anything judgmental. But immediately I could feel that he did start distancing himself from me in our relationship. And see, that's judgment too, isn't it? Maybe some of the most painful kind, the judgment of rejection. See, when, when someone picks at something that you are, a, a characteristic, a trait, the way you look, something that's just deep to, to who you are as a person, or when they discover something that you've done or something that you struggle with or something that's happened to you, um, they, they, can, they, can, they can say mean things against you and that's bad, that's judgment. But one of the most painful things that can happen is when they discover that stuff about you and they start to move away, right? 
They start to distance themselves. That's really, really painful judgment. And, and here's the thing with judgment. So often it's judgment that puts us in shame places to begin with. That's what lands us in these dark caverns of shame, judgment. But judgment is often what keeps us there. It's what keeps us living in a secrecy, living in a silence, because we are so afraid that if we come out, if we come out into the light, if we start speaking about what's going on, that there's going to be more judgment, and none of us want to experience that. But here's what blows my mind about this whole judgment thing. We have all experienced judgment in our lives, every one of us, and we know how bad it stings. But here's what blows me away. Here's a question that I have for you and for myself. Having experienced that, why on earth would we ever do this to someone else? Why would we ever sit in judgment and inflict this upon someone else? And yet we do it all the time, don't we? I think especially in this internet culture we're living in, I mean, just, just look at any video, anything that's out there on YouTube or on Facebook, and you look at some of the comments that people will post, the comments about people's appearance, about their intelligence, about anything else, we just, we just lambast people with our judgment without even thinking about it. And today I want to explore this. I want to explore this weird dynamic between the crippling power of judgment in our lives and, and how it keeps us locked in, in hiding and in secrecy and in, in silence. But I also want to talk about this, this hypocrisy that lives in all of us that enables us to judge people so quickly, so freely without thinking twice about it. And to do this, um, we're going to look at a text in scripture John chapter 8, an event out of the life of Jesus. Now, I have to give you, um, as you're turning there, some explanation about this text, John 8. Um, if you are in a Bible right now, you, you will see probably in your Bible that it says something like this. The oldest and most reliable manuscripts do not contain John 8, 1 through actually 11. And that may freak you out. It's kind of weird. Um, and, and in fact, it's true that the oldest and most reliable manuscripts don't have this part of John's gospel, which means one of two things. Either it's not original, John didn't actually write it, uh, it may be a, an actual event out of the life of Jesus that was kept or recorded somewhere else and later incorporated with John, but that's one thing, is that it's, it's not original, it was added later, and by later we're talking um, maybe two or 300 AD, so not too long after, but, but long after John wrote his gospel. Or it could mean that John actually did include this in his original gospel, but since there were no copy machines or printers back then, um, some of the people who copied the texts, um, that may mean that some of them found this gospel, this part of the gospel, so scandalous that they thought it would be better if they left it out. Now, we're not sure what happened. We just know that the oldest manuscripts we have don't have this, and so we don't know how to explain that. Here's what I can say personally, that I find this story to be a credible story out of the life of Jesus. I believe it actually happened. And the reason I believe that it actually happened is because Jesus looks so much like himself in this story. It, it shows um, so much similarity with everything else we know about Jesus from the Gospels. There's no contradiction there. But I also think this is credible because it's so insightful into this issue of judgment. How messy it is, but it's so insightful in how, into how we can actually get free from it. So we're going to look at it. We're going to learn from it today. John chapter 8. We're actually going to start at verse 2. It says, at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So this was the custom of rabbis. They would go to the temple courts. People were there for, you know, for, for making sacrifices or they were there to hear teaching and they would kind of gather in the courts around different rabbis and uh, that's where Jesus was and he's teaching to people. So this is very customary. 
But, but the teachers of the law and the Pharisees at that moment brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, or in the law rather, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Now before we get to this actual question, I just want you to, to put yourself into this scene. I mean, imagine this woman caught in the act and then taken from that moment and brought in front of a bunch of, of critical people, made to stand in front of them while her sin was talked about openly. Can you imagine how terrible that must have felt? Now, I know there's some of you in this room, and um, you're not kind on adultery. It's a sore spot for you. And so maybe you have a hard time feeling sympathy for this, for this woman. Let me ask you, what would it be like then if someone caught you in the middle of whatever your deepest, darkest sin struggle is? You know, what if, what if right as you were losing it with your kids, someone walked in and they saw that? Or, or maybe not with your kids, but with your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, and you know that's a weakness for you and you hate that about yourself. And what if right as you're like flipping your lid, someone whom you really respected walked in and saw all of this unfold or someone got it on video and put it on YouTube, right? Or what if as you're sitting and you believe you're alone in your house looking at things on the computer that you think no one else can see, what if someone walks in and they, they see your computer screen? Or what if you're right at the end of a conversation with a friend about another friend, you know one of those conversations, I wouldn't call it gossip, we, we just call it venting, because you have to vent sometimes, right? That's how we refer to it. And you're venting about this person, I mean, you are really venting about this person, and then they walk into the room right as it's over. And you have a pretty good feel that they heard everything you said. Whatever, whatever it is for you, imagine being in the moment of your deepest, darkest sin, and I, I think you know what that is right now. And imagine being caught in the middle of that. Imagine being taken from that place. Imagine being put in front of a whole bunch of unkind, judgmental faces made to stand in front of them while your sin was talked about openly. See, that's where this woman finds herself. And no one's asking any questions about how she got there what broken in, brokenness in her life may have contributed to this, about, about what she was thinking, about, you know, no one's asking any of those questions. She's only receiving pure, heavy judgment. Now, to be fair, the religious leaders, they've got a leg to stand on here. See, in the law, Moses did actually say that if you were caught in the, in the act of adultery, you could be put to death by stoning. But, but really, that was meant to be for both people. And you notice there's only one person standing before Jesus in the crowds, a woman. The man is, is off somewhere else. He should be there too, but he's not, which shows that this whole thing is, is very hypocritical. Uh, on top of that, they're going above and beyond to humiliate this woman, beyond what the law would ever suggest or require. And, and really, part of the problem is that they're not all that concerned about this woman's sin, really. They're using it as a convenient moment to try to trap Jesus. And so they're taking this flesh and blood person, this person with struggle and weakness, who's in a very broken, vulnerable moment, and they're using her as bait to try to trap Jesus. That's what it says, plain and clear. Look, it says they were using this question and this woman and her situation as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. So, so they bring her before Jesus. They say, 
what would you say? What should we do with her? But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. (laughs) It's kind of odd behavior, right? People are standing there and they're asking him this really intense question. It's an intense moment. All eyes are on Jesus and he starts bending down, doodling in the dirt. It says, when they kept on questioning him, because they're annoyed by this, they want an answer. He finally straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. Come back to that. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you see what Jesus did here? So important. Everyone's standing around him and they are clamoring for an answer. They're demanding an answer. They're demanding a judgment. And this whole thing is a trap. Jesus really can't win. Uh, If he says, yeah, you know, (laughs) the law says stone or kill her, then her blood is now on his hands And he's going to lose his whole following because what has set Jesus apart up to this time is that he is not like all of the other self-righteous, hypocritical religious leaders. So uh, the the, the Pharisees, they know this, that if he sides with the law, he will lose his following. It'll be a violation of of his own personal integrity. But, But if he disagrees with the law, if he disagrees with Moses, then he's going to lose all of his credibility as a religious teacher, right? Because you can't disagree with Moses and get away with it. In fact, if you disagree with Moses, you can be subject to a crime. They can they can prosecute you. And so Jesus is in a situation where he simply cannot win. So notice what he does. They're demanding a judgment. Give us an answer, Jesus. Tell us, what should we do with this woman? Notice what he does. He doesn't say anything. He refuses to give a judgment at all. Now, wait a minute. You can do that? You can. But few of us actually do. See, when we're put in a circumstance where we are invited to step into the place of judgment over someone else, a situation, a person, a behavior, we can hardly resist that temptation. And part of the reason, part of the reason is because we believe that's what faithfulness demands, right? We believe that we have to be clear. We have to speak the truth. We have to make sure people understand what God's word says. We don't want to appear permissive. And so when when someone asks us to stand in the place of judgment, we can hardly resist Because some of us believe that's what it means to be faithful. They have to step into the place of judgment and you have to speak authoritatively as the judge over some situation or some person. But we also do it for other reasons. I think so often the reason we step into that place of judgment is because of our insecurities. Right? I mean, when you're not not sure about something yourself and someone asks you, when you're not sure of, of whether something is right or wrong, if you can't separate the difference between uh, you know, 
bad and good on one side and just different on the other. And, and you start to see everything that's different because you're insecure in your own choices or your own life. You start to see everything that's different as bad automatically. Then you might be tempted to step in that place of judgment because your own insecurity drives you to do, to do that. Or, or what about shame? I'm realizing this about myself, that uh, sometimes I react way too strongly to something small. So something my wife says that maybe doesn't feel good, but it's, it's a small thing, I overreact. Does anyone else do that? You find yourself freaking out about something that seems so small. And I've realized that sometimes that's an issue of insecurity. But sometimes it's, it's because um, she's, she's hitting a shame trigger. Some point in me that, that, that just, man, if you touch it, I freak out. Some people, when they feel ashamed, they, they run away and they hide. Some people, they self-medicate and they numb. Some people fight back. They go on the offense. That's what I do. And so for some of us, when, we, when we're invited to step in that place of judgment, our own shame demands that we step there. Or maybe it's your struggle. You know, I've, I've read studies that suggest that some of the people, some of us who are the most homophobic are the people who feel most tempted down that same road because our own struggle makes us feel insecure, afraid. When that struggle lives inside of us, it terrifies us. And so sometimes we get really strong to speak out against it because we're afraid of what it might do to us if we give it permission to thrive, right? See, so often when we're given the opportunity to step into the place of judgment in life, we cannot resist either because we believe faithfulness demands it or because of one of these other reasons. But I want you to notice what Jesus does or what he doesn't do. He shows us something powerful. He shows us that you don't have to, you are not required to step into the place of judgment. See, instead, what does Jesus do? He, and he doodles on the ground, and, uh, and, and then people are pressing him, and, and he finally just says, you know what? No, I'm going to put it back on you. H- how about this? How about the one person here without sin, the, the sinless person in the crowd? How about you be the first one to throw a stone at her? See, not only does he put it back on them, notice the irony of those words, because who is the sinless one in the crowd? It's Jesus, and he refuses to go there, because, because why? It's, it's not going to help the woman. It's not going to help the crowds and, and their messed up ideas about God and what he demands. It's not going to help him and his ministry. See, judgment, stepping into that place, it is always a lose-lose situation. No one wins when you stand in that place. And Jesus demonstrates that. Not only that, but he puts it back on the crowd and he says, I dare you to do it. I'm not going there. And I'm the sinless one, but but go right ahead. If you you think you can, if you think you've got the right, step in and you be the first one to throw a stone. And what's surprising about this is that uh, everyone drops their stones, starting with the oldest ones first, and they leave which is really interesting, isn't it? See, I, I don't really know why they left, but here's the possibility. Um, you know when Jesus bends down twice and writes in the sand, there's a lot of speculation about what on earth he was doing because this is kind of odd. There are a couple of prevailing theories about that. One says that maybe Jesus was following judicial practice. So if you were a judge in this time, uh, before you give a verdict, you would write down the verdict and then you would read the verdict. So maybe Jesus is bending down and he's literally writing out, let the one who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stands up and he reads what he's written in the ground. 
maybe. But there's another theory. And again, this is all conjecture. We have no idea what he was writing, but there's another theory that says that maybe when Jesus bent down to write in the dirt, maybe he began writing out the sins, the pet sins, the deep, dark sin struggles of all the people in the gallery. See, again, I don't know. But I'll tell you, I like the idea of that second one. And I believe that's powerful because here's what I know about my own life. That when I am faced with the reality of my own sinfulness, my judgmental nature, it doesn't stand a chance. It can't survive. See, if you're someone who sits here today and you know that, that too often you step into that place of judgment over other people, you just can't resist it, and you kind of hate it about yourself and you don't know how to get free from it, do you, know what you, do you know what you need to do? You need to sin more. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Because um, that's the reality. is actually you don't need to sin more because you already sin plenty. You just need to become more honest about your own brokenness. You need to become more honest about your own weakness. But that's not how we live, right? We live pretending to be better than we are. And every one of us has their junk. And you know what? I can say that and I can know for certain. Because in my ministry, I've never met someone who later sitting in my office hasn't disclosed that there's a bunch of stuff going on in the back room of their life that no one would ever see. We just need to be more honest and we don't have to tell everything that's back there. We just need to be honest about the fact that there's stuff going on back there, right? That we are not as put together as we seem. But, but instead, what do we do? We fake it. We pretend that we're doing really, really well. We pretend that our lives are, are top-notch. We lie to others. We lie to ourselves. We put forth this persona about who we are. And the reality is we're living back here, but we pretend to be here. And in this gap, see, in this gap, that's where judgmentalism thrives. And the bigger the gap between your real self and the self that you put out for people, the greater the chance that you will fall victim to judgmentalism. See, if you want to get rid of a judgmental spirit, then you've got to shrink this gap between the person you put forward and the person you really are. Or better yet, just throw away this person altogether because this isn't a real person. And just be who you are. Be your messy, broken self in a very open and authentic way. See, when we make known that we are deeply flawed people, when our sins are written out for everyone to see, then we have lost our credibility to stand as judge over anyone. People won't even ask us to be a judge anymore. They'll be like, hey, you can't judge. And you know, thank you. Please don't put me in that place, right? See, when, when you are your messy, true, authentic, egg-on-face self and you let that be seen and known, then no one's ever going to ask you to be a judge. You've lost all credibility. You will lose all desire to stand in judgment of other people. Other, other people. I promise you it's true. But let's talk about the other kind of people here today. Um, maybe you don't identify so much with the people in the crowd. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and your mind, your thought, you, you are so in it with this woman. Because as you sit here today, you are living under a heavy, heavy load of judgment and it's, it's crushing you. I want to talk to you for a minute about what you can do to begin to escape judgment. And the first thing that I want to tell you is, is uh, it's the same medicine I just gave for people who struggle with judgmentalism in their own life. It's the same thing. It's to live out in the open. 
Now, I know this sounds crazy. When you're feeling judged and when that's holding you back, the last thing you want to do is to live out in the open. But, but here's what happens when you step out into the open and you acknowledge all of the things that, that people have thrown it, it, you know, thrown it at your face, thrown against you, people have leveled against you, the things that you fear people finding out. Here's what happens when you do that. You take all of the power away from their judgment. See, see you, you, you take the would-be judges and you snatch the power out of their hands. When you can say, I'm flawed and I'm broken and, and you know, I get angry and I've got a gossip problem and, and I'm working on it. When you can say that in an open way, when you can live out in the open, whatever it is, then you, you take away the power of your judges. Do you see how that works? Like before I throw a ball, if I just say, hey guys, I throw like a girl, then you know what? Doesn't mean anything if they laugh at me, right? Because I said it first. Ha, I beat you to it, right? It's true. Now, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true, and it's so freeing to live this way. Now, I know the reason we don't do it. The reason we don't do it is because we're afraid that if we do it, that we're only going to give our critics and the people who are judgmental, we're only going to give them more ammunition to do damage to us. And you know what? You're absolutely right. That's exactly what's going to happen. For people who are just hell-bent on being judgmental, you will give them more ammunition if you, if you just live in an open way. But, but here's, here's what I want you to know. Hear me on this. The kind of ammunition you give them is different. See, you take away live ammunition and you give them rubber bullets instead. And it'll still sting, but it can't destroy you in the same way. See, if you can learn to live out in the open then you don't have to worry if you're surrounded with judgmental people. Because, man, you're already there. There's nothing they can say that you're not already willing to say or admit yourself or that you've already said. Now, I know, again, that sounds terrifying for you. But I promise you, it is a very freeing way to live. Not only will it take you out of the caverns of shame, it will just set you free from judgment. But, but secondly, I've got one that I think is even more powerful. If you're living under a heavy load of judgment, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to remember who has the authority to judge. I want you to remember who has the authority to judge. Now, I know that all kinds of people think they have the authority to judge. And so you've got, you've got family members and friends and you've got people you don't even know who think they have the authority to judge. I know that you yourself believe that you have the authority to judge yourself and you are the worst critic in your life. The voice of judgment in your head is, is all your own and it's going all day long. I want you to remember who has the authority to judge. There may be people who are judging you, but they are illegitimate judges. They have no right to speak. They have no authority. They actually have no power. I want you to see what Paul says about this. He says it so clearly. It's like, gosh, I, I can't believe it's so clear in scripture. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Why? Because those are all illegitimate judges. They have no authority. Look what Paul says. He says, my conscience is clear, actually. I, I don't think I'm guilty of anything, but that doesn't make me innocent. See, it is the Lord who judges me. Today, if you are living under a heavy load of judgment, I want you to remember who has the rightful authority to judge you. It's not your critics. It's not even yourself. It is God alone. And, and here's what I want you to know now. That you don't have to fear his judgment. You don't have to fear his verdict because he's already spoken his verdict over you. Hear me on this that when Jesus gave his life on the cross, it was more than an object lesson. 
When Jesus gave his life for you on the cross, he was taking all of those would-be judgments that people may speak against you or you may believe about yourself. He was taking all of those failures, all of those sins, all of your shame, all of those things you beat yourself up for. He was taking those things on himself. He was dying for them. But more important, do you know what he was doing? He was speaking a verdict over you. And the verdict is that you are no longer an enemy of God, you are loved. That you don't have to fear rejection because you belong you're a son, you're a daughter. That you don't have to fear retribution from God, that instead forgiveness is yours. See, Jesus spoke a verdict over you if you belong to him. The judge has already spoken over you. Do you know that? And so as you remember that there's only one who has the authority to judge, you can also know that he has already judged you. And he said, you are mine, I love you, I forgive you, I can bring you into greater wholeness. You are not what your sins say. You're not what your critics say. You are mine. You belong to me. So today you're sitting under the heavy weight of judgment. I want you to know that. That the only rightful judge, he's already spoken over you. And it's not the verdict you'd expect. It's not the verdict other people level on you. It's not the verdict you level against yourself. It's a verdict of love. It's a verdict of belonging. It's a verdict of forgiveness and healing, reconciliation. And I hope, I hope, I hope that if you've been living under the heavy weight of judgment, that these things might begin to set you free. In fact, um, I want to encourage you right now to take a step with me. Just like we've talked about today, I want to encourage you to start with God. Acknowledge him as the only true and rightful judge because he sees it all anyway. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to speak these words out loud. They come from Psalm 139. And I want you to speak these words out loud um, of scripture. Say these with me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And now I want you to do and let God do what we just asked him to do. So I'm going to invite you to take a moment and in quiet, let God bring to mind the things that he sees in your life. Uh, Your wayward tendencies, your offensive ways, your anxious thoughts, whatever it is that he sees, let him bring those things to mind. And don't be afraid, don't be afraid, because remember, he's the only rightful judge and he's already spoken his verdict. Right now, take a moment and let God bring to mind these things, okay? God brings to mind those things that he sees, not the things that you see or that other people see, but the things that he sees. I want you to do something that's very uh, 
is very different. It's very counterintuitive. It's very abnormal for us. Instead of denying those things, instead of covering those things, instead of explaining those things away or making excuses for those things, I want you to confess those things. the way that those things have hurt your journey to wholeness. How they may have wounded others. How they fight against God's work, his recreating work in your life. Go ahead and confess that. you to open your eyes and I want you to uh, read these words with me from Psalm 32. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, it's not the verdict we expect, is it? We live in so much fear of what will happen if we live open, even with God. And yet the truth is, God has spoken his verdict over you. And it's a verdict of love. It's a verdict of belonging. It's a verdict of forgiveness and reconciliation. God has declared that you are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that means that the judge has spoken, the only one with the authority to judge. And I hope this is what this does for you. I hope that that frees you from the weight of judgment you've been living under. I hope that frees you from your own judgmental tendencies. And I hope that enables you to live life differently, to live a little more open, a little more authentically, not with all of your messes neatly tucked away, but being a little more honest with yourself and a little more gracious with yourself and with people in the world around you because our world needs gracious people. There's no shortage of judgment but because of what God has done in us right now, we can be different.